Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby-Greenland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back in the apex for just one more time before we head out to Fight Island the following week. But this week's a pretty darn good one too. It's Marvin Vittori versus Paulo Costa in a middleweight main event for UFC Vegas 41. We'll of course be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Or we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, I've got interviews with two fighters fighting on this UFC Vegas 41 card. I'm talking with Grant Dawson about his long win streak and his late replacement opponent. And I'm talking to Tabula Ricci about her jiu-jitsu and how it what is that she got into MMA. Before we get into any of that great content, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports gambling. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests and in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, you can catch my one bonus pick that you can't even get here on the show but you can get at the Top Turtle MMA page on Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me now is Grant Dawson, who fights Ricky Glenn at UFC Vegas 41. That fight is, of course, on October 23rd. So, Grant, I want to start here. You know, obviously, you were supposed to finally get that ranked fight here at UFC Vegas 41. You are supposed to fight Carlos Diego Fajeda. Uh, it was a chance for you to finally get into the rankings after being 5-0. and What were sort of your feelings when he dropped out of that fight and you knew you were probably not going to get that opportunity here? Um. I'm pretty good at rolling with the punches. Obviously, I want to be ranked, but the goal in in my career is not to be ranked. The goal in my career is to be a world champion someday. Um, I know I've still got a long journey ahead of me, and adding one extra fight in there really doesn't change much for me. I do, however, think with an impressive uh, an impressive performance over Richard Glenn, I think that that gives me the break into the top uh, top 15, I do think I will get that Diego Fajeda fight late December, assuming everything goes well against Richard. Oh, and that was actually the next thing I was going to ask you. You know, you, you said, you know, obviously 6-0. and oh, you, You're definitely deserving of a, a ranking at that time. But is that the fight you want next? Is it definitely Carlos Diego Fajeda, or is, are, are there other names on your mind as well? Yeah, I, I think I match up well against everybody in the top 15. I think I match up well with everybody in the uh, lightweight and um, featherweight division. So it doesn't really matter to me. Diego Fajeda is the name that was given. I know that Diego wants to fight me. I want to fight Diego, and the UFC wants us to fight each other. So that's the fight that really just kind of makes sense to me. He said that he's going to be ready in December. Um, again, barring no injuries in this fight, I will be ready in December. So it, it just... To me, that is the next fight to make up. I'm not looking past Richard Glenn at all. However, I come from a wrestling background where you kind of go, okay, I'm going to beat this guy, then I have to wrestle this guy, and then I have to wrestle this guy. So that's kind of just ingrained into me 
I'm going to beat up Richard Glenn. And then December, I'm going to beat up uh, Carlos Diego Fajeda. So you knew all along that he was ready in December and that he was going to be ready in December. Did it ever cross your mind to wait for December, to wait for that rank fight? Because like, as you said, you know, you feel confident against Richard Glenn or Ricky Glenn or whatever we're calling him now, but you you feel confident against him, but he is a dangerous opponent. He's a guy who's who's tough and has been in there a thousand times. Had you considered just waiting to December to get that ranked opponent? You know, I think I'm one of the best fighters in the world, and I completely understand that anything can happen at any time in the middle of a fist fight. However, if I can't beat Richard Glenn, then I don't deserve a top 15 guy. I'm not a big fan of sitting and waiting. Um, Money isn't an issue for me. However, I do have a responsibility to myself and my family to provide. So getting back in there, whether it's for, you know, financial or I also just enjoy fighting. Since I've been in the UFC, I feel like I've really only been getting two fights a year, which is fine. But my goal this year was to get three fights in with three wins and three finishes. Um, I was planning on fighting in December, whether uh, it was against Diego or not. Um, So it it really doesn't mess up my plans at all. It almost guarantees me an extra fight this year, which is exactly what I wanted. So there's a bright side to everything. I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but I believe that you can make the best out of everything that happens. So we're going to beat up Richard Glenn, and then I'm going to beat up uh, Diego, and then we'll see what 2022 has in store for me. Well, I love that mentality. Now, I want to take you back to something you said a second ago in one of your responses, and that was you feel like you match well up against with everybody in the lightweight division, but you also threw in there the featherweight division. And obviously, I know that you, you know, moved up to lightweight for your last fight. You look damn good doing it. We'll talk about that in a second as well. You, you were here scheduled against a ranked lightweight as well. Is is there still like a, a near future, a scenario in the near future where we see you back at featherweight? Um, my goal in this sport is to be a world champion for one night. So if somehow lightweight doesn't end up working out that way, featherweight is also open. However, I do have goals in the future to become the very first, uh, three division world champion and featherweight is one of them. So I obviously got to get the, uh, get the lightweight title first and then looking at featherweight to get that title and then moving up to welterweight and getting that title as well. Big ambitious goals. I know but speak it into existence. I believe in my skill set, however, one fight at a time. But yes, I do think that featherweight will be in my future, even if it is only just one more fight. I love it. Now, I love the ambition. I love the ideas. But I want to talk a little bit about you at lightweight, because it had been a while since we had seen you at lightweight. You had had some, some issues with featherweight in the past. And you went out there, and you not only looked great, but you you knocked out your opponent with a last-second knockout, seemingly not happy with the decision. So you went out there with the intentions of killing with virtually no time left. How, how did you feel back at lightweight? What was the difference in, in you know lightweight Grant Dawson versus featherweight Grant Dawson? You know, I didn't feel a whole lot different inside the cage uh, size-wise. I was worried about the move up because lightweights are bigger than featherweights, obviously. And matching up against Santos, uh, a very skilled opponent, uh, opponent with power who's knocked out quite a few lightweights, and he's a very large and strong opponent. So that was the perfect test to see if I can actually compete at lightweight. Um, Not to get into too weird of details here, but mostly the weight cut is what changed here. My body didn't quite function right when I made weight at 145. Um, Things weren't 
flowing through me if you get my drift for a couple of weeks after uh, after the weight cut. So it, I could really tell that it was damaging my body, and I didn't want to um, keep doing that and then eventually move up to lightweight anyway. I didn't want the embarrassment of missing weight again or the embarrassment of putting on a really bad performance making the weight and then moving up to lightweight anyway. So, you know, I told my manager, hey, if I ever miss weight again at featherweight or if I even come close to missing weight at featherweight, I will move up. Uh, I got a fight against Nadnar Armani, and it was at the scheduled weight of 150 pounds, and I had trouble making 150. So that was my sign. It's time to move up. I think I can make 45 at least one more time. So why kill my body, make it, and then just move up anyway? So we moved up. I feel great at the weight class. I feel big at the weight class. Um, the, the weight isn't easy to make, but it is definitely easier than making 145. So I'm very happy with where I'm at right now. I love it. Now, you know, you mentioned the size and, and dealing with people who are big and strong. And, and before you mentioned that, you know, you come from a wrestling background and, you know, just taking a quick glance at the UFC lightweight rankings, you notice a lot more wrestlers in the UFC lightweight rankings than the UFC featherweight rankings. You know, you see guys in there like Gregor Gillespie who have, you know, long wrestling pedigrees and, and you even see more jujitsu guys in there than you do maybe down at featherweight where you're seeing boxers like Giga Chikadze and Edson Barboza and people like that. Did that play at all into your thought process that you were, you were moving up to a division where you're going to face a lot more guys who not only are the size of you, but fight like you? You know, I for a while I always thought that that was kind of a disadvantage to have to be fighting people that fight similar to me. However, you mentioned Gregor Gillespie, and I think that Gregor is a is a great fighter and he's a very tough matchup. However, he spent most of his life practicing wrestling, getting better at wrestling. We've got shoes, we've got headgear, and there's no punches. I've spent most of my life getting ready for MMA wrestling. So if you look at uh, if you look at us on paper, you would obviously say that Gregor Gillespie is the better wrestler than me. However, if you look at us at on MMA paper, I would think that I'm the better MMA wrestler than Gregor Gillespie. I do acknowledge that they're they're very similar, but they are not the same. While he was getting ready and doing low singles and uh, wrestling around in a singlet, I'm wrestling around with MMA gloves on, landing punches, avoiding submissions, and looking for the submissions myself. I think that I'm a better MMA wrestler than Gregor. And honestly, I think I'm a better MMA wrestler than pretty much everybody in the division. Now, on paper, no, until I prove it. So I'm going to look to prove it. And I do think it is an advantage that I don't have to worry about these big strikers anymore, these big you know, power punchers or cardio machines like uh, Max Holloway, um, Volkanovski is another big, big puncher. I'm going to be fighting guys that are going to fight me the way I want to fight them. So it's just easier to get where I want to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Now, Ricky Glenn is obviously not not exactly what we're describing here, right? This is a guy who isn't quite the wrestler that you are, doesn't have like a wrestling background, loves to throw elbows, loves to kick, loves to you know throw down in a messy fisticuffs kind of way. What were your thoughts when they offered you him as a replacement? What were your thoughts of getting this longtime vet of the sport who who does fight a little bit different than what you were planning for? You know, I think that a lot of people are kind of underestimating Richard and kind of, you know, looking past him for me. And that's not the case with me. I understand how tough Richard is. I understand how um, 
he's never going to quit. He's never been finished in the UFC, and he does take a lot of time off in between fights to get better. However, I'm all of those things and actually good at fighting. So I think that the matchup is really great for me. I do think he is dangerous. I think he's got a little pop in his punches, and he makes it very awkward on the ground. However, I think I'm one of the best in the world. I think that I'm ready to uh, show that I'm one of the best in the world. And if I can't beat uh, Richard Glenn, then I don't deserve those big shots. So when the fight came across the table, I said yes immediately. It really didn't have to have – it really didn't have a lot to do with the matchup, just that I was going to get to fight before December, and I was going to get to fight against somebody who's coming off a win, somebody who's in my weight class, and somebody that does have a name. I know that he's not, like, super popular, but he has been in the UFC for a long time, and a lot of people know who he is. I couldn't be more happy with the matchup. Well, I agree as well. Now, before I let you go, I do like to get a prediction out of all my fighters. How do you see this one going down October 23rd? I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a tough fight. I think that it's not going to be a fun fight, but make no mistake, I don't think it's going to be a close fight. I think I'm going to run through Richard Glenn just like I've run through everybody else in the UFC, and I think I'm going to be the very first to finish him inside the UFC. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Grant Dawson, who fights Ricky Glenn at UFC Vegas 41. That fight on October 23rd, live from the Apex. Grant, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Grant Dawson. I, once again, Daniel Gumby, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I, I want to start here. This past weekend, Aspen Ladd put in quite a lackluster performance, losing the main event to Norma Dumont. Uh, most of the talk was said about her corner, Jim West, and the advice he was giving her, uh, mostly after the second and the third rounds. I, I want your take on it. What, what did you think of the advice? Okay, so first of all, I like to think of it as attorney-client privilege. I tend not to, outside of head movement, head movement, and very obviously <laughs> bad advice, or just non-advice in that case, uh, I tend to err on the side of, the coach knows what to say to his fighter in those certain situations. They know how to motivate. So in this case, I try not to judge. There's not really that much you could do. I think Mike Perry has a great quote about this with, you know, when he's fighting and his coaches are saying, pull the trigger, go, go, go. And he's like, I don't want to, because if I go, I'm going to get hit. They're not in the octagon. It's You're really talking about like a 2% difference it might make short of seeing something very technical, like when, hey, She's, you know, uh, throwing the overhand right. She's open on her, you know, left side to a body kick. Short of that kind of technical thing you're spying in early rounds that can maybe change a little later, I just don't care. What they say to motivate their fighter, to me, is their business. It's attorney-client privilege. What do you think? Yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, You know, I I interviewed Saif Saad one time about the advice he gives in between rounds because, I mean, like, it's well noted. He shouts at his his corner people uh, in between rounds. Like, he shouted at just about every single fighter. And he said, you've got to know the fighter and you got to know what gets him going. And and we don't know what Aspen Ladd needed in that moment. And kind of like you said, too, like... If, if they're not giving technical advice, which which some fighters aren't going to process technical advice well anyway, if they're right. not giving technical advice, I don't think we can comment on what the motivational advice looks like. Um, I think we could comment if they were giving technical advice. You know, like, you know, Edmund just shouting head movement, head movement was, <laughs> you know, one of the wildest things because, like, yo, like, obviously she needs to move her head. It's getting jacked up, dude. Like, that's the best you got right now. 
So when it's technical, I feel like we can critique it. When it's motivational or emotional, I think we almost have to stay off. I'll also say this is just kind of like a last point. You know, I mentioned Saif Zad. He is a guy who has shouted at the dudes in his corner multiple times. Like, multiple, multiple times. He said some really vulgar sounding stuff. Ramiz Brahimai told me one time on the regional circuit, Safe hit him in the middle of a, a round, in, in between rounds. He hit him in, in between rounds. And then he went out and subbed the dude. So it's also weird to me that this is getting so much heat. And I think some of it is that, first of all, Jim West dates Aspen Lad, And second of all, Jim West is a man giving this advice to a woman. And I think that's taking more heat necessarily than what the actual advice is. I think you might be right there. And I just don't have the energy to get into the 90210 drama of it all, but I'm sure all eyes will be on Aspen Lad's next performance. But speaking of next performances, let's get to our favorite segment on the show. Let's put on a little gambling performance for the fans. Let's break down some fights, give them some dogs, maybe a couple of parlays to play, or in this case, just one, because it's our favorite segment on the show. It's fights, dogs, parlays for UC Vegas 41. But Gumby, before we get into it, and I'm actually pretty excited by this main event, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Sucks and Parlays brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, leave yourself notes, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh, so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Banger of a main event here, Gumby. We have Marvin Vittori, a minus 140 favorite. Paolo Costa, a plus 115 dog. Such a huge fight in the middleweight division. And what I love about this matchmaking, guess what? They're both coming off of losses to champ Israel Adesanya. Paulo Costa was undefeated before getting TKO'd by Israel Adesanya back in September of 2020. Marvin Vittori had a previous loss to Izzy Adesanya via split decision all the way back in 2018, then, re- then uh, reeled off five fights in a row win streak to get Adesanya again back in June of this year and lost via unanimous decision. So both fighters coming off of losses to the, the champ, Israel Adesanya, and trying to get back in that title picture. Who are you taking? I actually think I'm going to go with Paulo Costa in this one, the underdog. Um, while his performance against Israel Adesanya looked a lot worse, uh, I, I draw a lot of confidence in my Paulo Costa pick from his fight with Yoel Romero. Uh, Yoel Romero tried to take him down four times, only succeeded once, didn't wind up controlling him there all that much. In the the back-and-forth pressure of Yoel Romero, the fact that they were, like, in each other's face, it was a very high-volume fight. Both guys landed over 100 significant strikes. That type of fight played really well into the type of what, what Paulo Costa was trying to do. Paulo Costa likes that kind of fight. He sometimes fights worse in fights that are a little bit more dull. Um, and he, I, I think Marvin Vittori brings that kind of fight here. Is Marvin Vittori's wrestling better than Yoel Romero's? I'm not sure that it is, and I will also say this. I'm almost positive his striking is worse. Um, you know, you saw him when he did have to manage on the feet with um, with Kevin Holland. He had a really tough time with Kevin Holland striking. I don't quite think that you know, or, uh, Polo Costa is quite as crafty on the feet, but I do think he's more powerful. So I'm really – I'm leaning Polo Costa here. It, it's interesting, though, because th- that takedown will tell us a lot about this fight. Uh, agreed completely. Not going to argue with you. I like the dog pick and Costa there. Pick'em fight for me. Very close. Can't wait to watch it. 
We'll move then on. We'll move on then to Grant Dawson, who's a very strong minus three forty favorite to Rick Glenn, a plus two sixty dog. Two guys on opposite career trajectories right now. Rick Glenn has been on a win two lose one, win one lose one, win one lose one. If you want to go back to his last uh, six fights, he's or we'll go back to his last seven fights. He's four and three. Grant Dawson, on the other hand, is six and zero oh in the UFC, coming off a Big KO over Leonardo Santos back in March of 2020. The big favorite here. Who you taking? And I'm going to assume it's Grant Dawson. Let me hear a way Rick Glenn can lose, can win if it's not just an outright Rick Glenn pick for you. So it's definitely a Grant Dawson pick for me. I, I think Grant Dawson is probably one of the easiest picks on this card. He was actually supposed to fight. Um, he was supposed to fight Diego Fajeda on this card, a ranked opponent for the first time. He's 5-0 and in the UFC. You know, you mentioned he, he could be 6-0 and after this. Certainly deserved a ranked opponent in Diego Fajeda. Fajeda drops out of the card. He winds up with Rick Glenn. Kind of disappointing fight for him. Um, but I would say I, I'm picking him straight up here. I think his grappling is going to be the major difference maker here. I would say if you think Rick Glenn can win this fight, I, I think most likely you think the, he, he can avoid enough of the takedowns and, and have success on the feet. I mean, maybe he gets those elbows going and scores a knockout, but I, I think you're really grasping at straws if you're picking Rick Glenn in this fight. I think it's Grant Dawson all day. Uh, another interesting fight for me, not Grant Dawson, Ricky Glenn being interesting. I'm actually talking more about Marvin Vittorio Paula Costa being interesting. And this one, while the odds are further apart with Sung Woo Choi, a minus 280 favorite is the Korean fighter to Alex Caceres, a plus 220 dog. You can't count Alex Caceres out. Um, I would call him somewhat of a savvy veteran. And while I know we're all going to be picking Sung Woo Choi, I just happen to like Caceres as a guy who can sometimes play spoiler to a up-and-coming fighter. Sung Woo Choi looked pretty good in his past three fights. On a three-fight win streak, he debuted in the UFC at 0-2 meaning he lost his first two fights in the UFC, but since December of 2019 has reeled off three wins in a row, coming off a win over Julian Arosa. He's the favorite here. Who you taking? So I'm actually going to take Sung Woo Choi in a, in a straight-up pick, but I, I agree with you. If you are betting this fight, I, I think you bet Alex Caceres. Um, you know, a plus 220 is a wild number to just, like, leave Alex Caceres there at. Um, Sung Woo Choi, obvious pick for me because he's got the crazy knockout power. He's good on the feet. I don't see Alex Caceres taking this down. But Alex Caceres has shown against big power punchers that he can kind of stick and move and, and keep things interesting. So I, I like the, his ability to do that. So for me, if you're betting this fight, it's either dog or pass. And, you know, like gun to the head, you have to pick a winner. I think you pick Sung Woo Choi. But I don't think anywhere he's anywhere near bettable at negative 280. Our dog of the week is Kama Worthy, a plus 145 over Jai Herbert. Let's hear it. Yeah, I'm going to take Kama Worthy here because, uh, first of all, Jai Herbert, 0-2 in the UFC, doesn't look particularly good in either of those two fights. Got finished in both of them, and he's up against a power puncher in Kama Worthy, who has also lost two in a row. But I, I, I think, you know, like we also saw him pick up some crazy good knockouts earlier in his UFC career. So we've, we've seen him against high-level competition, you know, flash those knockouts, I think here against Jai Herbert, it's a fight where they're going to duke him out. I'll take the guy with power and UFC wins over the guy who's 0-2, hasn't done a lot of knockouts uh, as of late. I I think Kamaworthy, very live dog at plus 145. 
Our parlay to play is Tabitha Ricci, minus 200, and Nicolay Nagamoreno, a minus 215. Two strong favorites, two-to-one favorites, but pair them together, it gets plus 120 odds. Let's hear it. Yeah, I like Tabitha Ricci. I think she'd be a bigger favorite in this fight against Maria Oliveira had she not fought Manon Firo up a weight class in her debut on three days' notice. Um, you look pretty bad doing that, no matter who you are. So I, I love her jiu-jitsu skills. I love her judo skills. I think she's really underrated in her, her ability to take people down and what she can do on the mat. Negative 200 for me against the newcomer seems like a steal. And I, I like Nicolay Nagumaranu. Ne- ne- God, that name is hard. Um... Mostly just because in his first fight back from that ridiculous layoff where I thought he was fired in between there, he looked amazing. And Ike Villanueva, a guy who got a flash knockout recently to save his career, but I don't think he's on the same level as Nagumaranu. So put those two together, plus 120 seems like the right price to me. Well, speaking of Tabitha Ricci, that wraps up our edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. But where are we going next in our show, Gumby? Well, we are going to our interview with Tabitha Ricci. I sat down with her to talk about that first fight with Manon Firo, as well as how she got into training MMA in the first place. And we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me now is Tabitha Ricci, who fights Maria Oliveira at UFC Vegas 41. That fight is on October 23rd. So, Tabitha, I want to talk about that fight. I want to talk about your UFC debut. I want to talk about a bunch of things. But before I get to any of that... I did want to talk to you about your nickname, because you got one of the most unique unique nicknames in the history of MMA. Can you tell me a little bit about where the nickname Baby Shark comes from? Well, my nickname, so my teammates from Paragon BJJ, uh, all the time when I show up to the class, they always come, oh, the Baby Shark is here. So, uh, so he gave me the nickname. And, and is there any reason why you're the baby shark? Is it is it that you're singing along? Is it is it based on the character? Is it that you're like a shark only you're small? Uh, uh, yeah, be- because I'm a very small and uh, the only girl in the gym, and then I always train with the guys and uh, <laughs> beat up all the big guys. So he called me the baby shark. I love it. So let let let's get talking about your your UFC career because it started in kind of a weird way. It was a short notice debut. You had to go up a weight class. You're fighting somebody in Manon Firo who is, you know, an absolutely amazing opponent. Obviously, that fight didn't go your way. But what were sort of your thoughts on the fight and and what did you take away from that fight? Well, we accepted the fight three three days notice. Um, I was, I'm always training and, uh, but we couldn't have a time to, to like train specific for, for this opening, but I was very com- uh, confident in myself. I really thought I could take her down and, uh, you know, like work my jujitsu, but the weight class is there for a reason. So she, I, I, I felt she was like way stronger than me and, uh, she's a high level, a uh, striking girl. So my game plan didn't work, but I think I, the fight went good, and um, and now I'm gonna looking forward to fight in my weight division too. We're excited to see you fight in your weight division as well, because uh, obviously that that is a very tough part of this. Now I'm curious, you you said she felt much stronger. Do you typically feel a lot stronger, or do you feel like you have a lot more control over your opponents in at straw weight? Yeah, yeah, I I feel like. When I fight straw weight, I feel like um, I feel very strong when I when I fight in my weight class. So I was kind of like surprised. Like in the way the weight in, she doesn't look that big. And then like in, when we get in the cage, and it like 
grapple a little bit and then exchange some punches. And yeah, she is definitely she's stronger than me. <laughs> For sure. And now I'm, I'm curious, too, is it was it a big weight cut for you? Is it a big weight cut down to 115 or were, were you basically cutting no weight to get to 125? No, I didn't cut any weight at all for 125. And at 115, my weight cut very smooth. Uh, I, cut, I cut around like 10 pounds and then that's it. I always stay like in the close to the weight. Wow, that that is a very small weight cut for sure. Have you, you know, obviously the UFC doesn't have an atom weight division, but had you ever considered because the weight cut is so easy, moving even a weight class lower, fighting at atom weight? I thought that before, do some fights in atom weight division, but I know UFC doesn't have that division, so I'm trying to stay at 115 and get stronger in their weight. That makes a lot of sense. Now, theoretically, if the UFC were to add an atom weight division, would you be interested in that weight at that time, or or are you really committed to straw weight at this point? Uh, I don't know about that right now. I'm really I'm feeling very strong and in like a good condition for 115. Uh, who, who see how it goes? I don't know. Maybe I would try. Who knows? <laughs> Interesting. Now, let, let's get to talking about your, your debut in the UFC at 115 because you're getting another Brazilian opponent, a very young opponent as well, in Maria Oliveira. When they offered you that name, had you heard of her before? And if so, what are sort of your thoughts on Maria Oliveira now? I didn't hear too much about her, but I'm a, I'm a friend of uh, Jeff Candrade and Parana, her coach. And... Um, uh, we have training uh, together before me and Jessica, and then uh, she talked talk about her teammates back in Brazil. Uh, I don't know much about her. I know she's like a striking girl, and um, I know she trains with Padana and then Jessica. So I uh, look it up some of her fights, and uh, oh, I don't know. We'll see. And no, you mentioned she's a striker, and you know, obviously Manon Firo before that was a striker. Is that sort of your your preference? Do you, do you prefer to fight women who have a striking base, being that you are so good at jiu-jitsu? I don't prefer. It's like a UFC offered to me, and I just accept the fight. Yeah, not like it, not, it's not like it, I prefer. You know, they offer it to me, and they're like, all right. <laughs> For sure. Now, I, I, I have to imagine then, going into this fight, you see yourself... As the jiu-jitsu specialist, you see yourself taking this to the ground. Is that the game plan here, or do you feel like you could stand and trade with her as well? I will see how fight goes, and I'm, I'm ready to do anything. I'm ready to strike, and then I'm ready to take the fight. I like that mentality. Yeah, so I suppose you fight a Chinese girl, uh, Na Liang, and then, uh, I don't know what happened, but and then they offer me uh, the other girl, the Brazilian girl, the Oliveira. So that's interesting. I, I, had, I had not heard that Na Liang was your original opponent. Um, was that accepted on your end? Did you, did you, were you already preparing for Na Liang? I was preparing for her. I was had my training camp. It was for Na Liang. And I, I don't know what happened. Nobody like, uh, was like uh, posting in public about that fight. And then later on, they say, oh, she's not going to fight you anymore. So we're going to, you're going to fight this Brazilian girl. I say, okay. That's interesting, and that is obviously obviously a very different opponent. Na Liang is a, a fighter who who does quite a bit of jujitsu. So, have you done a lot of your training camp for this fight focused on the jujitsu? Yeah, exactly. So Na Liang, she's a more like a wrestling girl, right? She likes to put the fights on the ground. So I was like 
preparing for a kind of bad style and all. And then, um, then I have to change a little bit, but I still have time and uh, always training everything. So I'm ready. Very interesting. Well, we're looking forward to that fight. Now, before I let you go, I did want to ask you a little bit about how you came to MMA because, you know, looking at your record, you, you've got a bunch of wins right before you got to the UFC and LFA. But if you go back before that, you know, obviously a lot of jujitsu competitions and all the way back to your, your your pro debut, which was in 2013. It was eight years ago. You were only 18 years old at the time. How, how did you get into fighting MMA at 18 years old and, and what sort of derailed that idea and, and got you away from fighting MMA? Yes, yeah, so I got into martial arts when I was uh, six years old through my dad. He's a judo, uh, black belt, master in judo, and he put him in judo. And then after that, I started uh, fighting a lot in judo when I was a little girl. And then I, I got into Mai Tai, into my Mai Tai gym. They offered me if I want to fight some MMA. And then I went, and then I, when I was 17, I got into jiu-jitsu because I want to do MMA. And then when I turned 18, I said, well, I'm going to do my first, my first fight. And then, and then I got in love with MMA. And then I have like a, I think two years break. And I went to Japan. I lived in Japan for a year over there fighting some MMA with some rules. And then I go back to Brazil and then came to US and focused only my jiu-jitsu for a little while, doing some like big tournaments over here in California. And now back again to MMA. Well, that's certainly a journey. Now, out of curiosity, with your dad being a black belt in judo, had you always known you wanted to go the martial arts route? Have you known this since you were a little kid? Yeah, I always know what I want. I always want to be uh, a martial art. I always want to fight. I'm very competitive. Uh, I always want to do sports. I, I want to go for competition. I just don't do it for fun. Well, it certainly shows. Now, before I let you go, I do like to ask all of my fighters for a prediction. How do you see this fight ending uh, coming up against Maria Oliveira? Well, <laughs> well, I don't know. I can see that fight ending in like submission or uh, knockout. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Tabitha Ricci, who fights Maria Oliveira at UFC Vegas 41. That fight's on October 23rd. Tabitha, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate for your call. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas. And we want to remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.